Second Samuel chapter four. Second Samuel chapter four. Watching the World Series game Sunday night, and my daughter was sitting there watching it with me, and she said, "You know what you said to me the day I was born, Dad?" And I said, uh, "No, I can't recall what I said to you the day you was born." And I said, "I don't believe you know either that what I said to you the day you was born." He says, no, I remember. You know what you said to me the day I was born? I said, what, what? The ball game was going on, tight spot. And I said, no, tell me what I said to you the day he was born. She said, the word of God, the spirit of God, the people of God are all we need. We need each desperately. And uh, I went, smart Alec, you know. She's been wearing me out with it. However, it's our confession for the year. We're almost done, so... To prepare our heart and mind to receive this week what God has for us, to stay focused, be on deal, and to stuff it in my daughter's face. <laughs> Let's say together, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, the people of God are all we need, and we need each desperately. So we have His Word today, His Spirit, and we are together. And so there's great strength and great power when we have His Word his spirit, and we are together to be his family and to be what he wants us to be. All right, so every single day, live out that. Live by his word, live according to the spirit's direction in your life, and by all means, make the most of God's people. Let God's people help you. Let God's people guide you. Allow God's people to support you and strengthen you and encourage you. Be in fellowship with the Lord's people. We are family. That's God's design. That's not man's design. That's not anybody's idea. That's not any kind of smart church man's book or written uh, program. That's from God. That's what he wants in the world. And the way that we make ourselves um, clearly seen that we are God's people and that God is our Lord and Savior is when we come together in love and we are who he wants us to be. So let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 4 today. And learn what we need to learn from a crazy story. A crazy story. In Moyendo, Peru, I've been there twice, and both times there is an oil tanker out there right off the shore. It's not very far off the beach. It comes in. I've watched it come, and come once, and I've seen it leave once. It comes in. And, and I don't know if it's pumping oil off the ship or on the ship. I'm not real sure. But there's a big pipe that comes off the hillside there. And it's, it, that pipe is on some supports and it comes out there. And they come in and men go out there and they will connect it with the pipe of the ship. And it sits there for a while. Now, there's some anchors that that ship has. And it's really interesting how the captain brings the ship in and puts those anchors in, and then he moves around a little bit, I guess, getting those anchors to hold, and, and so that he can stay in one spot and either give oil or take oil. Not really sure what he's doing, as I said. Now, I sit there and watch that. I said, wouldn't that be a horrible deal if that anchor didn't hold on that ship? It's a big ship. There, now, it's not, it's not a rocky shore, so it would, if it ran aground, it would be on sand, so the ship wouldn't be hurt itself. But man, what a mess it would make there on that little beautiful little beach right there in Moyendo, Peru. The anchors got a hold. 
there's an idea among captains and ship people, and they call it the sin of going aground. And you've seen some stories of that, that because of a storm, because of uh, strong waves, strong currents, groundings happen. And now, sometimes they happen because of a poor captain. A captain's not making it. He's made a bad choice. He misread the sea. And he came in, and, and uh, he runs aground. Sometimes run aground because of a bad storm that drives him in there. But sea people, the, 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 the maritime people, the captains, and everybody that sets sail on those big ships, they call the sin of going aground is when a ship runs aground and it hasn't let out its anchors. And they talk about the anchor is still in the hawse pipe. Now, I didn't know what a hawse pipe was, so I had to go to the dictionary and find out. The hawse pipe is the tube or the casing that the chain runs through to get to, to let the anchor down and to pull it back up. And so the sin of going aground is when you're not properly anchored. And the worst of the sin of going aground is when the anchors are not used. The anchors are not used. Keep that in mind as we go through this story today. And, and, and that with that idea of does your anchor hold? Does your anchor hold for life? 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 1. When Ishbosheth, Saul's son, heard about Abner's death at Hebron, he lost all courage. He lost all courage. And all Israel became paralyzed with fear. You remember that uh, uh, Abner uh, was upset with Ishbosheth because Ishbosheth accused him, either wrongly or rightly, of having sexual relations with one of Saul's concubines, Rizpah. And Abner, he wasn't going to stand for that. And he became angry and irate that his, he was accused. And most likely, because he didn't ever fight the accusation, what he was most upset with was, is that all that he had done for Ishbosheth and Saul's reigning kingdom to carry on, he felt like he had rights to Rizpah. And, and uh, king's concubines were for him only. And if you engage with one of your concubines, then you were taking, uh, taking an elevation and you were elevating yourself to the place of a king. And so it's seen as a, a slap in the king's face, and it's also seen as uh, someone trying to take over. And so uh, I think that probably is, is why um, this accusation was brought about Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth to uh, Abner, and Abner's had enough, and he, he just sees with revenge, and he goes to David, and he says, Look, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to rally all the people under Ishbosheth, and they're going to fall in line under you as king. After all, you're the appointed one. You're the anointed one of the Lord to be the king of Israel, and I'm going to use my power to bring them all together. Well, now, when he's there, 
because he had killed Aziel, who runs like a gazelle. And uh, Joab and his brother saw him leaving the kingdom. And David had given Abner a, a, a safety uh, warning. You know, no one hit him. No one bother him. Let him go. And uh, those two brothers weren't going to stand for that, Joab and Abishai. And so they followed him and they killed him. And so the mighty commander, the, the chief of staff, the five-star general of Ishbosheth's army is now dead. And Ishbosheth lost all courage when he died. And all Israel became paralyzed with fear. The reason Ishbosheth lost all courage when Abner died is his anchor was Abner. His anchor was in a man, just a man, just a man, a powerful man, obviously a good military leader, but just a man. His anchor was a man, and now his man is dead, and he's lost his anchor, and he's lost all his courage, and it passes from him to all the people of Israel, and they have lost all their courage as well. And it says that they're paralyzed with fear. Paralyzed with fear. Now, there's some reasons that Ishbosheth is paralyzed with fear and he's lost all his courage. One is he was ele elevated to a position by Abner that was beyond his character to handle. No question about that. He wasn't chosen by God to be the king. He didn't have what it took to be the king. He was not strong enough in character to be the king. And so be real careful. A lesson for us in this is this. When, when someone, when some man with some group of people are pushing you to be elevated to a position, be real careful. Be real careful. What's in it for them? What are they up to? What, are, what is going to be the benefits for them? And, and don't fight to be elevated. When, when people fight to be elevated, to be promoted, to, to take on more responsible, responsibility, if they're not careful, they'll place themselves in a position that they're beyond what God wants for them, what God desires for them, and they're beyond their capabilities, and they absolutely crash. Haven't you heard stories? I bet you know people from work. You know people from your life, from your neighborhood, from, from history, whatever. And, and they were really satisfied, fulfilled in their job, and they were promoted to another job, and they were so excited about the new job because it was more money, more responsibility, more influence, and all those kind of things. And they're promoted to this new job, and in six months, they're absolutely miserable. Not too long ago, we had a family that moved here from another state, and they were only here about 18 months or so. And the whole time he was here, he was absolutely just miserable. And he thought for a long time that it was moving from another state to Texas. And who, who in the world can understand that, you know? Coming to Texas is a great thing. Why would anybody not like that, you know? And, and as I'm visiting with him, finally he came to the point where he said, you know, it's not the move that's got me so down. He said, it's my job. It's beyond me. 
He said, I was so content doing research in, in our lab. I was so content. That's what I need to do. And they moved me into a managerial position. And he said, I'm just not cut out to manage 100 people. And I joke with him and say, I don't think anybody's cut out to manage 100 people. You know, and he was talking about all the headaches he has and all the people who don't want to work and all the people that, that have other ideas about how things could go. And he says, man, I, I spend all day in office just meeting with disgruntled people. And I'm just absolutely miserable. And we thought this was going to be the very best move in our lives. And it's the worst move. And that's what happened to him. He went after that promotion. He, he put his best foot forward. He put together the best resume. He interviewed well. <clears throat> and he did all those things to give himself an opportunity. And it wasn't for him. And when the opportunity came for him to go and be in a job similar to the one he had, he took it even with a pay cut because it was where he was supposed to be. Well, that's Ishbosheth. Just because you're the king's son don't mean you're the one. Just because it makes sense for Abner doesn't mean that he's doing what's best for Ishbosheth. We know he wasn't. He was doing what was best for Abner. Be careful of that. He's also the consequence of a dad who was paranoid most of the time. Saul was paranoid. You know that. You remember from all the stories we've read about Saul? What Ishbosheth saw from his dad as the king was a man that was motivated by fear. He was reactionary. He was absolutely full of paranoia about David. Remember what made Saul so agitated and caused him such difficulty is when people would sing, would sing out and say, David killed his ten thousands and Saul only his five thousands. Saul couldn't get over that. He just couldn't get beyond that. And it grew in him. And that agitation festered in Saul and he got worse and worse and worse. He tried to kill David several times. Remember, he was a spear chunker. And he was grieved with fear, just controlled by fear. And that's what Ishbosheth saw. Be careful how you're influencing your children. Be careful. Be careful what you're modeling towards them. Because the truth is, by how we live, moms and dads, by how we live, we either give them opportunity to see God as He is, or a false idea of who God is, of who God is. I heard the story the other day about a dad that was just absolutely perplexed because his son, now that he's grown and has a family, he can take or leave going to church. He can take or leave things of, of Christianity, things of Christ. And he's grieved over it. And, and he, he reminisces and he thinks back to his days when he was raising his children Work came first, sports came first, hobby came first, making a living came first, the lure of wealth came first. And he came to terms with it. He says, the reason why my son is, is he can take or leave the, 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 the ministry of the body of Christ is because that's what I showed him. And that's the way I was. I went to church once a month. That's what my kid does. And he just said he grieved over the example that he had set. So be careful 
what your anchor is. Be careful what you're holding on to. Be careful to what's holding on to you. Because when the storms come, if your anchor is a man, a person, a people, it won't hold you. Listen to the next part of this story. This gets really interesting here, I think. Verse 2. Now there were two brothers, Banna and Rechab, who were captains of Ishbosheth's raiding parties. They were sons of Rimmon, a member of the tribe of Benjamin who lived in Beroth. The town of Beroth is now part of Benjamin's territory because the original people of Beroth fled to Gittim where they still live as foreigners. Verse 4. Now, this is kind of out of place, but it's in there, and we'll see uh, the, the meaning of this back when we get to chapter 9. Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son named Mephibosheth, who was crippled as a child. Now, he was five years old when the report came from Jezreel that Saul and Jonathan had been killed in battle. When the child's nurse heard the news, she picked him up and fled. But as she hurried away, she dropped him, and he became crippled. Mephibosheth, just five years old, hears about the loss of his father and his grandfather, and the nurse who's responsible for taking care of him runs away with the rest of the people. After all, if they've killed Saul and Jonathan and defeated the army, they're next, right? And so they run for their lives, and she dropped him. And now he's crippled. And we'll get to that down the road. Verse 5. One day, Recap and Banah, the sons of Remnon from Bereth, went to Ishbosheth's house around noon as he was taking his midday rest. Oh, a good midday rest is a good thing, isn't it? The doorkeeper, who had been sifting wheat, became drowsy and fell asleep. So Rechab and Benah slipped past her. They went into the house and found Ishbosheth sleeping on his bed. They struck him and killed him and cut off his head. <laughs> it's a wonderful bedtime story for your children. Then taking his head with them, they fled across the Jordan Valley through the night. When they arrived at Hebron, they presented Ishbosheth's head to David. Look, they exclaimed to the king, here's the head of Ishbosheth, the son of your enemy Saul, who tried to kill you. Today, the Lord has given my Lord the king revenge on Saul and his entire family. These two brothers, these two military leaders, captains, of, of the raiding parties of Ishbosheth, leaders of men, they thought they had a plan that was going to take them to the top. Now, think about what's going on here. Abner is gone. Somebody gets to take his spot. Why not us? That's what they thought to one another. That's, that's their idea. And they come up with this scheme, right? We'll kill Ishbosheth. We'll go to his house while he's taking a nap. It was easy for him. He didn't have the armed guard. He just had his, his housekeeper that was, 
was asleep because she'd been working hard too hard when these two boys come in. And there he was just asleep. And they hit him, knock him out, cut his head off. And they run with his head to Hebron. And David is going to reward them. That's their scheme. David is going to say, I'm so excited you guys have killed Ishbosheth. This is, this is going to put me where I need to be. And you two guys are going to be the general of the army because of this favor that you've done for me. They had a scheme. They had a plan. They were trusting in their plan. That was their anchor. You might know some people that their anchor is a get-rich-quick scheme. Their anchor is a plan that seems to them to be just undefeatable, you know? It's just without any problems to it. It's a flawed plan. And all of man's ways are flawed. We cannot have our anchor be our ideas, our, our philosophies, our, our, uh, our plans. Because the plan, the scheme, the idea, the philosophy that is our anchor, it becomes our idol. And we're holding on to an idol. That's what motivated these two guys. Now, they should have read their own history if it had it. They should have been listening. They should have asked some people some advice. Now, if someone were to cut off Ishbosheth's head and take the head to David, what's David going to do about that? Well, you know, if they ask enough people, they'd find the right answer. Now, they probably aren't going to listen to the right answer, right? They're probably not going to listen to the good advice, but they possibly would have heard, well, you know, that Amalekite said that he killed Saul at Jezreel. And Saul said, you are not to kill the Lord's anointed. And David had him killed. So aren't you doing the same thing? Isn't that what you're scheming to do? Isn't that your idea? But I don't know if they'd listen to advice, but here's what happened. But David said to Rechab the Lord who saves me from all my enemies is my witness. I don't, in other words, I don't need you boys to be my deliverer. I don't need you guys to run ahead of God and do what is only God's business. That's a great lesson for us today. We need to recognize that what is God's business and what is not our business. And we need to be real careful that we are not about taking matters into our own hands. Because there's our business and there's God's business. And oftentimes most of our complex situations, most of our conflicts, most of our challenge, all those are God's business <clears throat> and not ours. These two guys violated that. They took God's business into their own hands. And so David says to them, I don't need you to do this. And, and he says in verse 10, Someone once told me Saul is dead, thinking he was bringing me good news. But I seized him and, had, and killed him at Ziklag. That's the reward 
I gave him for his news. How much more should I reward evil men who have killed an innocent man in his own house and on his own bed? Shouldn't I hold you responsible for his blood and rid the earth of you? Boy, that elaborate scheme backfired on him, didn't it? It backfired him because David, he recognized what is God's business and what is man's business. And so David, verse 12, ordered his young men to kill them, and they did. They cut off their hands and feet and hung their bodies beside the pool in Hebron. <clears throat> my, my. We're so sophisticated now, aren't we? We, we? we don't have any public hangings or anything, but back then, man, you could be walking to the pool in Hebron, mighty old business, and there hung are two men that have had their hands and their feet cut off. Wow, what a sight that would be. Then they took Ishbosheth's head and buried in Abner's tomb in Hebron. That's what David instructed. That's what happened. So the lessons from Rechab and Benah is this. They trusted in faulty scheme that they believed would be their reward, that would be their life, that would set them up, that this would be the anchor for them. Now, the truth of the matter is, the lesson that we can really learn, and perhaps the greatest lesson here is, Rechab and Benal were going through life with fists clenched. My way, my plan, my solution. When what God wants from us is that we go through life with God's plan, and that requires open hands. James says, don't say tomorrow we're going to go to this town and we're going to do business and we're going to make all this money. And, and don't sit there and tell God what all you're going to do. That's this. That's going through life with, with clenched fists. My way, my plan, my solution. I'm going to make it happen. Matter of fact, we honor that in our society. Do it your own way. Do it your way. You know, the Frank Sinatra song, I did it my way. That's clenched fists. That is opposed to what God wants of us. What God wants is not clenched fists that says my way. God wants open hands, which is his way. If the Lord wills, we will be elevated. If the Lord wills, we will be taken care of. If the Lord wills, we will be provided for. If the Lord wills, I will be promoted. I will be given more responsibility if the Lord wills. Now, I'll do my part. I may apply for that position. I'll interview well. I will, but I won't go with closed fists kicking the door down and selling myself beyond reason, I'll just answer questions. And if it's the Lord's will, then he will elevate me. Let the Lord do his work in you. Don't fight him. Don't fight for yourself. It's never a good idea. You have no idea what the Lord has for you you have no idea what the Lord knows about your tomorrows. Trust Him. And so go open-handed. Lord, whatever you want.
I'll do my part. I'll continually work hard. I'll be responsible, and I'll do my thing. Martha and I had a, Martha Riley had a conversation a while ago. You know, it's really funny. You know, I, 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 my list last week of writing down what I'm in control over was very small. I said, I've done what I'm supposed to do today. I've prayed over this message. I've studied this message. I'm coming for you, and to the best of my ability, I'm bringing this lesson to you today. That's my responsibility. Whether or not you take it, whether or not you receive it, whether or not you do anything about it, I, I, it's, I'm out of that. I have nothing to do with that. I can't make anyone come in here. I can't make anyone who come here. I can do my very best to present it in a way that perhaps is not boring. And some of these chapters that we've been going through in the Old Testament, that's a real difficult assignment, let me tell you. It's a hard one. It's hard to talk about cutting people's hands and feet off and their head off and making it, you know, palatable for people, right? I think I said that right. But we need to go through life open-handed. It's his plan. Now, we have Ishbosheth. His anchor was a man. Bad idea. The man died. When our faith is in people, it's a bad idea. When our faith is in a religion, it's a bad idea. When our faith is in an idea like these two captains, it's a bad idea. Now let's talk about the strong anchor. For the last couple of weeks, I've been looking at this passage and, and I've been thinking about anchors and I've done a little Wikipedia study and a little YouTube study and, and I've read about some shipbuilding, things like that. It's a really an amazing process that engineers go through to determine how heavy the anchor needs to be, what it needs to be made of, the shape of it and everything, and also how heavy gauge that chain needs to be depending upon the weight of the ship. Now, if you have a big aircraft carrier, you gotta have two anchors on the front to hold it to keep from swaying back and forth when it's anchored in. Those are huge. Those anchors are gigantic and they're made of this real powerful, strong metal and it's pure. And it's an amazing formula that goes into putting those anchors together. And that's a, because you can't run aground. If it's a rocky shore to destroy the ship, people will die. People will, will find themselves in a bad way, right? The anchor has to hold. And in our lives, the anchor has got to hold. So in John chapter 10, listen to these words. It was now winter. This is John chapter 10, verse 22, that we're going to get to the words of Jesus. It was now winter, and Jesus was in Jerusalem at the time of Hanukkah. Hanukkah the festival of dedication. He was in the temple walking through the section note as Solomon's colonnade. The people surrounded him and asked, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. If you are the Messiah, let us know. All right, Jesus replied, I have already told you and you don't believe me. Unbelief, it forfeits us from being able to have the anchor. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. The proof that I am the Messiah is in the work I do in my Father's name. But you don't believe me because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me. 
And so you're not one of my sheep because you do not hear my voice. You are not understanding the spiritual principles that I'm laying down. Listen to this, what Jesus says. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. I give them eternal life. Who's he giving? His sheep, those who hear his voice and follow him. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me. Now that's important right there. Wait a minute. All right. No one can snatch them away from me. No one can snatch them away from me. Not even ourselves. No one can snatch them away from me. All right? He says in verse 29, For my Father has given them to me, and He is more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from the Father's hand. He's saying, my Father, who has given sheep to me, believers to me, he has a strong, strong, strong hand. And when we're in the Father's hand, no one, including ourselves, can snatch us from the Father's hand. That's the anchor that holds. That's the anchor that holds us no matter what happens. It's our Father that we're in the Father's hands and that we have received eternal life from Jesus. That's the anchor that holds. People do, are not a good anchor to follow, to hold on to. I mean, people will disappoint. People will fail you. People will not show up. People will not be for you. You don't need to have people being your idol. You don't need to have an idea that you're counting on to carry you through because the idea will not hold. The idea most likely at some point is going to be flawed. But man, Jesus is the sure anchor that holds. No matter what happens, we have Jesus and we are in the Father's hands and no one can take us out of the Father's hands. No one can take us out of the Father's hands. Jesus, the Father, our Lord, our Messiah, is the anchor that for will, no matter what the storms are, will hold us. So the question for us today is, what is your anchor? What is your anchor? Help us, Lord, to learn from this scripture today. Help us, Lord, to apply what we need to apply for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, come forward.